Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. We have a sweet show for you today, and as you'll hear, the pun is intended. My trailblazing guest is a young person on the move. Five years ago, not one to follow whatever a traditional path after high school is these days, she bought a one-way plane ticket to check out big city life in New York. Little did she know that what she thought would be a temporary job in a bakery would open the door to an amazing entrepreneurial journey. I am wowed by her tenacity and can't wait for you to hear how this all came to be. From America's first pop culture bakery with cookies that have become a hit with celebrities, I am delighted to introduce partner and executive director of Funny Face Bakery, Carly Jump. Carly, welcome to Say It Skillful. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. It's been a long time coming and I'm just so excited we're finally able to make the time. Yes, I am thrilled, thrilled, thrilled with the biggest smile on my face. And I think we are both eternally grateful to our mutual friend, Scott Golden, my tennis buddy who connected us. So shout out to you, Scott. Uh, Carly, I have been t- anticipating the chance here um, to hear the ins and outs. This is just an awesome life you've created. I'm so proud of you. And you've managed to unite two of your loves, baking and art. So please take us down the path of how you've become who you are and doing what you're doing. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Oklahoma. It was honestly a pretty typical American childhood, divorced parents, public schools, the works, you know. I struggled with my mental health since a very young age. And with that, I feel like I definitely grew up way too quickly. And my whole life, I've always been told that I seem a lot older than I am, But, you know, kids shouldn't grow up that quickly. That's your time to learn and make mistakes and to have fun. And, you know, like I um, I'm 23 right now and I am a partner of a bakery and everyone that I work with is older than me. So it's definitely a unique experience, um, especially considering I started whenever I was 19 there and all of my clients, everyone is yeah in their 30s or up. So it's definitely a unique experience experience. Um, So growing up, I, um, as I was struggling with my mental health, eventually I found myself in a mental hospital. During my time there, I had a lot of time to think and reflect on my life and what I wanted. And I realized that all I really wanted was out, a fresh start in a new place with people I'd never met. And so with that, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do career-wise, I had always been interested in both art and baking. I was always exploring new art mediums. I went to art summer camps almost every year. Uh, When I was in high school, I volunteered with an incredible organization called Oklahoma City Girls Art School, a nonprofit that provided after-school art education to underprivileged girls. And there, I would help create and execute lesson plans while encouraging the girls to explore their creativity. 
for baking, I've just done it my whole life um, with my mom and both of my grandmas, learning family recipes, experimenting with others that I found on Pinterest. I mm-hmm. always loved it, but I never really imagined it to be my career path. You know, in school, I was smart, but I hated doing the work, at least by the time I got to high school, elementary, and even some of middle school, I was still excited to learn. But by the time I was a teenager, I was just so burnt out. There were classes I liked. Of course, art was my favorite. I still keep in touch with my favorite art teacher from high school. She was the kind of teacher that you could just go in her room and talk to her about anything. And she'd just be there to listen and help you through the day. Aside from that, English was my favorite. Uh, School was definitely the biggest stressor of my mental health, though. And combining that with only needing a few more credits to graduate, I decided to take my senior year online. So I graduated, barely might I add, as I had zero motivation to do the classes. Hmm. But I got through it like I knew I needed to. And yeah, from there, I just kind of spent my summer daydreaming to see where I would go in my life. Um, I have always been fiercely independent since birth. You can ask anyone that I get it from my mom (laughs) and she, you know, so my mom, I'm skipping back and forth a little bit here, but my mom is my biggest role model. Um, she is the hardest worker I know, despite so many challenges, um, and throughout her whole entire life. And she has just really pioneered through and no matter what she, built the life that she wanted because she knew she knew she could, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I just really took that as an inspiration as I was figuring out where I wanted to go from Oklahoma and after high school and where I wanted to lead my life. Um, And so I didn't feel any pressure job-wise growing up, but during high school, all you hear about is college. All people talk about is college. I just sort of assumed I needed to go, and it didn't really hit me until my senior year, and I was um, I was doing school online, working away my days at Walmart, uh, that I didn't need to go. The, and the pressure wasn't even coming from my family. It was just everyone else, you know, school, random people I met. And so from that, I um, I originally applied to an art school in Portland, Oregon, just because I felt like I needed to apply somewhere. But I went ahead and rejected that, even though I was accepted. I didn't think taking out student loans was worth it whenever I wasn't, I didn't like the school environment of like sitting in a classroom and just being told what to do. You know, that's just never been me. And so, sorry, it's okay. This is this is just I'm. Yeah, we'll take a pause. I just um, I'm just very proud of you for putting this into words, Carly, because I know it's um, it's a lot, you know, to go through, and uh, I have a lot of compassion for our young people, and I just want to appreciate your courage and um, sharing a bit of what you experienced because it's really helping all of us. Thank you. 
And yeah, so growing up, I never felt like I fit in. My schools were all very preppy, sports oriented, and overall just not my kind of people. I um, found, you know, a group of friends with the art kids, but I just always knew I wanted to leave Oklahoma. It all just kind of kept coming back to that need to just get out and become my own person without the the pressures of, you know, Oklahoma society or people I'd known my whole life. You know, I, I'm a very firm believer that everyone needs to leave their hometown, at least for a little bit, in order to, like, truly discover who they are as a person. Wise words. Very wise words. Can I go back? Because your mama is obviously um, a superstar. And were you old enough to remember the divorce part? Or you, you did, did that? Um, was that a, a real struggle for you? Or you saw other people, people's parents divorce, so you felt that that was sort of normal? Absolutely. Yeah. So I was seven when my parents got divorced. And I, you know, I very vividly remember them sitting my brother and myself down on the couch and, you know, explaining to us that it wasn't about us as kids and that they loved us, but they they needed to be a part. They didn't work as um, husband and wife, husband and wife. <laughs> and so I most of my friends at the time, parents were still together, but it was kind of around that age where a lot of the parents start divorcing, you know, over time, you know, unfortunately, that's just a big part of our modern day world. And by the time I was out of elementary school, the majority of my friends' parents had ended up getting divorced. So I was kind of in the beginning when not everyone was going through it. But over time, more and more people did. It was hard for me at the time, you know, I, I was seven and I definitely have all the rem- memories from before, but now looking back, I would never have kept my parents together. You know, I love them both individually, <laughs> but uh, I see how much happier they are apart and that they, um, that they just didn't work well together, but they you know, they tried to make it work for my brother and myself, but I'm glad that they just gave in because having your parents be happy is such a big part of creating your own childhood happiness. For sure. Carly, what's your relationship with your brother like? Yeah. Um, so my brother, it, he's just two years older than me. So we've always been, um, you know, we were just a couple of grades apart in school. We were, would see each other, you know, throughout the school day and we would fight a lot growing up. I (laughs) was the bossy little sister that wanted to take control, but he, he's the sweetest guy. He's very nerdy. (laughs) Um, But I, I love him to death. Now we're a lot closer now that we don't live under the same roof and we're not headbutting over tiny little things that don't matter. But it, we, we were always close, but like in that fighting sibling kind of way. <laughs> when you um, look at your parents, what are some of the things you might have taken from your dad's side versus your mom's side? Um, I get my stubbornness from my dad. <laughs> he he is one of the most stubborn people I know, and I am exactly the same way. So we've had butted in times over that. 
And then my mom, I I get my independence from her, that streak. And then, I mean, both of my parents are really hardworking and they're both all sides of my family, like have just really put everything they have into their jobs and they're um, really just pursuing the life they want. So I think I get that from both sides. Yeah. So fortunate that they had the maturity to handle their separation in a way that really supported both you and your brother. So really kudos to them for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And they, they weren't the kind of parents that could never be in the same room without fighting after the divorce. Like I was very thankful that they held it together for my brother and me and were able to, I don't know, you'd say friends, but they were able to be like pleasant acquaintances with each other for our sake. Yeah. 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 So I um, really appreciate you bringing up the mental health journey. And if you don't mind going a bit there for our young people, um, how, you know, just some thoughts about what what would have been helpful for you. Um, and I think a lot of us, you know, it's, it's a, like, you know, you break your arm, you get a cast, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of a straightforward thing. And I think this is a topic that everyone's realizing. We want to be able to be compassionate. We want to be more educated on it. So just some thoughts about, you know, what went on for you and what might have been helpful for you. I mean, we don't know, uh, but any thoughts are welcome. So um, depression and anxiety run on my mom's side. So, you know, for better or for worse, my mom knew really what I was going through because she had suffered through it my whole life. So I, I definitely had a lot of support on that as a kid, but like I would, I started going to therapy at a young age. I got a medication as a teenager. And so there was always that support that it wasn't one of those households where mental illness doesn't exist. Like we are very aware of it and just always doing our best to keep it under control. But I think, you know, it was, it was just hard being in like a close knit environment like Oklahoma it wasn't the smallest town but it you know you ran into all the same people all the time school my elementary school was very small and just being surrounded by these same people your whole life it was hard because I felt like I needed to prove that I was okay when I wasn't yeah and so I think it just being able to accept that everyone is going through something and, you know, you don't have to hide your struggles from the world. Yeah. Really, really, really wise word. Um, so you're, I mean, your mom just seems so in sync with you. So this, <laughs> tell me, did you, you're like, I'm flying to New York. I mean, seriously, from <laughs> Oklahoma city, that is sort of a very big, you know, it's a country move. Right. So, Tell us how that evolved. Yeah. So um, just even from aside from telling her, I um, so after I graduated, I spent my summer working away the days at Walmart, just saving up as much money as I could. I knew I needed for something and, you know, daydreaming about where my life would take me. And so one day I was just laying in my bed and New York popped into my head and I'd visited there once um, a few years before with my mom for just like three or four days. 
And I remember loving it, but I also very specifically told her while I was there, I was like, I could never see myself living here. And <laughs> for some reason, I decided to ignore that. And I um, spontaneously booked a one-way plane ticket for a month out. And, you know, I had zero plan, no place to live, work. And I only knew one place, one person in the whole city. Uh, so after I booked that plane ticket, I went downstairs and I was like, mom, um, I just booked a one-way plane ticket to New York and I'm leaving October 16th. And I still give her so much credit to this day. She was just super calm about the whole thing. She was like, okay. And um, just, you know, kind of walked through it with me. And I think, you know, she just knew that I really needed to get out and I needed to explore the world for myself. She, um, when she was younger, her mom always thought that someday she'd live in New York and she never did. So it was kind of like I was living it out for her. (laughs) We're all... I'm not a mom, but for all the moms out there, you could imagine how you had to like keep it together. <laughs> oh, hey, I, know, I, was, I was expecting like a full on panic attack, but it it was really smooth. Okay. So uh, even for adults, we're saying we're going to move in a month. So, so I am kind of curious how as a young person, you're like, okay, I got to find a place to live. Like, how did you plan or not plan for this departure and arrival in a new city? Yeah, so after I I bought the plane ticket, I went to work the next day, put in my two weeks. And so I figured, okay, I have a month, I'm gonna work two more weeks, save up a little bit more money. And, but the whole rest of the time, you know, I'm gonna be saying bye to my friends and family and figuring out New York. And I really didn't have any idea where to start. Um, like little things, like I was just researching, you know, um, everything about New York that I could. And I had this plan that I was going to have the whole New York subway system memorized before I got here, which was totally ridiculous looking back. You know, you just have to write it to actually know it. (laughs) But um, so, you know, I wanted to figure out everything. And um, and I knew I'd have to, this was before Zoom was a big thing. I knew I'd have to interview once I got there. And I didn't want to sign a lease before I knew what my income would be. So I rented a host like a bed in this hostel style Airbnb for a month. And there were about, depending on the day or even week, there were like five to 10 other people there. I think it could fit up to like 12 or 14 max though. So it was just like a bunch of rooms with bunk beds in them. And I, so I rented a room there and the reason I picked out this specific one was because the guy that owned the Airbnb, Paul, he had in his bio that he was from Oklahoma. So my mom was like, okay, he's probably not a serial killer if he's from Oklahoma, which is no logic, but it comforted us. (laughs) And uh, so I moved there and I, just remember thinking it was so cool because I always wanted to meet, you know, different kinds of people from all over and Oklahoma. I didn't really get that. Everyone's basically lived there their whole lives. People didn't move there from Europe. And one of my first roommate encounters there was with a artist that was visiting from France and, you know, she was just showing me artwork. And I was like, wow, this is what I came for. And 
so yeah, I lived there for a month and two of the people that I lived with at that point um, are, I'm still close to friends with today. They were like my big brothers and they really helped me through the transition because I was terrified. I was like crying every night for that first month, <laughs> but I, I made it through. And during that time is when I found the bakery. Poor baby crying. I'm sorry. Poor thing. It's like a movie, right? Here she is going through the day and then bawling at night. Oh, exactly. That was truly, you know, I first learned, you know, how weirdly comforting it is to cry on public transit because no one cares in New York. Uh, So you're just sitting there crying and um, you know, I that was probably the most I've ever cried in my life was that first month and I, even the full first year living here. But like during that first week or two, I told my mom, it's like, OK, I think I want to move back. She's like, OK, you got to stick it out a little bit longer. You know, it's going to be hard at first. And so with her encouragement, I, I finally got through that really tough time. <laughs> Wow. So you did think about like, I'm getting, I'm taking another ticket back. Oh, absolutely. In my full first year in New York, I wasn't really sure if I would stay there. But once I hit the one year mark, I was like, okay, I'm in love with the city. I'm going to be here forever. But it took a full year to get there. <laughs> I do believe in a one year prove out. Okay. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really, now I'm really peaked because how did this whole bakery thing happen? Yeah. So um, my friend from high school was going to Pratt Institute and she knew that I was looking for a job. And so she starts telling me about this really cool bakery that she worked at. And basically they took these cookies and they painted faces on them. And I was like, that's so cool. I love art. I love baking. And she told me they were looking for a counter girl. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I can work there for a month or two while I'm getting settled. That'll be like a perfect transition because, you know, it's around artsy people. I can make some friends. And so I went in for an interview. Um, It was just two weeks after I moved to New York. And little did I know, I was meeting my future business partner, Sarah Silverman, not the famous comedian, but she's still funny. (laughs) Um, She told me she liked my vibe and asked if I could start the next day. Didn't even glance at the resume I brought with me. So I started working in the bakery. And from there, I... I just fell in love with it. I loved the people I worked with. I loved the product we had. You know, it used to be a cupcake shop. So we had cupcakes and the faces painted on cookies. But people really just came in for the cookies. The cupcakes, She Sarah tried to make work, but people wanted what they wanted. So we eventually rebranded and took those out and put our full focus on the cookies. We have um, really incredible chocolate chip cookies along with our face cookies of celebrities, everyday people, and like a whole line of random objects and stuff. But to get to that point, it was definitely a long journey. And Uh, February of 2019, she promoted me to manager because she saw just how hardworking I was. And then from there, we just continued to kind of try to grow the bakery as much as we could. And she would ask me 
you know, about how I thought we could expand the bakery because she had so many big plans for it. And I just really fell in love with the idea of growing it with her. Um, so let, before we continue further, I, so you're counter girl, okay? Mm-hmm. You're counter girl. You're like, I'm for sure here short term. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I, I just, I'm kind of curious because you meet all walks of like people that love their sweets. So mm-hmm. I am just curious on your sense of people, right? Because I imagine, you know, people are pretty much who they are mm-hmm. and they're nice to you. They're not nice to you. I'm just, I'm just wondering, you know, any insights on the human psyche, I guess, from your counter girl. Yeah. I Well, I think it was especially weird because I was new to New York. So I didn't really know New Yorkers. <laughs> and, you know, oh, in Oklahoma, there's everyone's very polite. It might sometimes be more of a fake politeness, but to your face, people are going to be really polite. They're, um, it's just kind of that like Southern charm a little bit. But in New York, you don't get that. People are very real with you here. You know, they're blunt. They uh, they want things quickly. And so that was definitely a, a culture shock. And, you know, I loved meeting all the different customers and just getting to, you know, I had regulars that I were very fond of and I would love seeing, you know, every Saturday uh, little kids coming in and just, yeah, I had all my favorites, but I think mostly it was just a big culture shock of, okay, people here, they're not polite, but it's just because they're not fake. You know, New Yorkers, they're some of the kindest people I've ever met are from here. And it's just because they know what they want and they want it now. And I I really respect that. And, you know, I've found myself becoming more honest since I've lived here, just, you know, in my daily life, not letting people walk over me as much. And I I think that's a really, a really key thing to living in New York. That's amazing insight. And, you know, I've always found you to be very self-assured and confident, but I could imagine, you know, you're first working, it's a culture shock. Was, was there a lot of seeds of self-doubt or somehow you're like, I'm going to persevere? No, I was very doubtful. I basically had no confidence in myself at that point. You know, over time, I built confidence as I've seen what I can accomplish. But at that point, I just moved to New York. I was terrified about everything. You know, I was feeling the blunt of being younger than everyone not having a college degree, I was very doubtful. I was not a confident person. And I think, honestly, it just took years of building up more experience and also just seeing that even though I'm young and I didn't have much experience, that I can still do a lot of really great things to build that up. Yeah. Hello. Hello, young people in the world. We're counting on you. Like it's just uh, it's mandatory. So, did you have any particular folks you you reached out to to kind of just keep yourself, you know, give you a shot of uh, encouragement? Yes. So I have called my mom basically every single day since I moved to New York and continuing on to this 
very day. We've missed a few days because of things going on, but I have spoken to her every single night that a conflict hasn't come up. So basically like 360 days out of the year. (laughs) And she, you know, she's just been that voice of reason. And, you know, she, one thing about her is she doesn't input her opinion too much whenever she, you know, I'm ranting to her, but she just kind of lets me, lets me speak. And with that, you know, I'm able to come to my own conclusions, but just with the safety of having someone there listening. Yeah. Okay. And we all, did we all hear that? <laughs> this is among the hardest thing to do for adults with young people. So thank you Charlie, for articulating that so amazingly. Okay. The journey of the evolving to the manager. So when you got promoted to manager, by the way, so I'm sure Sarah's in her mind, she's like, this girl's a rocket rock star. <laughs> did you think that that was, you were, you would do that? I mean, were you like, okay, were you pleasantly surprised or you're like, finally, or what were your thoughts? Um, well, it, I hadn't been working there very long and I was honestly the newest of the counter girls. So that part was a little bit weird. Um, you know, I was excited. I didn't expect it and I was excited to be offered the position, but it was a really hard transition because all of a sudden I was like a boss to my friends that had been there long before me and had trained me. And so that that was a tricky part. And uh, Sarah will say it herself, you know, she, she hadn't really had managers at the bakery before. It was so small. And she definitely had a hard time, you know, giving up and letting me take some of that <laughs> stress off of her. So it, it was a learning curve for both of us. I was trying to get my first real life experience as of managing people in, and she was trying to let go. But after months and months of, you know, us figuring out, okay, what went wrong, what went right, we finally, we got into a a healthy, a healthy, how do I put it? Um, We got into a good rhythm. So I just want you to know that everyone who might be in a corporate America kind of job is just totally nodding their head. Okay, this (laughs) is exactly what happens. Someone gets promoted. Oh my gosh, there's all your peers. Now you're the boss lady and you know the person before you has to delegate, but they're not so good at delegating. So good for you to not have the, the corporate um, bureaucracy, but still the learning. So if you take yourself to that time, because I think there's some management lessons here, Carly, what were some of the things you learned about yourself and about um, you know how you lead other people? Yeah, Um I learned that I was not good at confrontation and this is something I still struggle with. You know, I, I wanted to be a people pleaser and you just, you can't do that in a management role. Like, yes, you want to keep people happy, but sometimes you're going to have to, you know, have these tough conversations, like say it skillfully. (laughs) And uh, I think that it, just really took growing confidence in myself and knowing, okay, people might not like this decision. People might not like me even, but this is what needs to happen to get the job done. And we just have to do it. 
I think probably that little streak of stubbornness helps you out in those moments. Yes. You're like, okay, okay. Absolutely. So, okay. So, so let's talk about, so you've got this great bakery and we'll go through where we can get these cookies later. Um, so, you know, how you're in the manager role, talk to us about just growing the business, you know, and, and it's a, um, I don't know how high margin it is. And, and, you know, you've got, I don't know how if folks can relate, but just take us through the painting of the face. I mean, it, the whole thing is so creative. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, just a little bit about the process of the cookies. So we have, um, we now have a team of a couple of different designers, but at the time back then, Sarah was doing all of the sketches for people's faces just in this tiny little back hallway on our laptop where people would eat their lunches. <laughs> and um, so people would send in a photo of their face and she'd sketch it out. We'd send it back to them for their approval and then the cookies would get started. So they all the cookies are cut to the shape of the face by our bakers. And then we have um, just a whole rack of billion different food coloring colors. And we have people that will go through and mix the colors to match any skin color, hair color, eye color, et cetera. And so then we have our pipers, most of which are from art school graduates or um, just in the art field. And they come in with basically no piping experience, but we feel that the art experience is a little bit more necessary than the actual piping experience because we come in, they come in for their interview, we put a piping bag in their hand and we just tell them to play around with it. And eventually, they get to the point where they're piping the faces. And so we do basically a base layer with their hair and eye color. And then they'll go in with a paintbrush and food coloring and paint in like the eye details and the nose and the mouth. And it's a really fun process to watch. And I, you know, growing up with a strong art background, I was just so amazed by it when I first came there. And even still to this day, I love watching them do it. I'm in awe at the cookies they create. And so we started, you know, we had that and we started getting larger orders. We did some cookies for the Kardashians a couple of times for some of their birthday parties. And then um, for the season finale of Keeping Up with Kardashians, their last season. So that was kind of what put us on the map was working with them. Kris Jenner and Kim Kardashian both posted us on their stories without uh, with us just sending them some cookies. And that really helped us reach the next level of growth. And um, so it turned out that one of our regulars, my favorite regular was this little kid and the, he would come in with his parents every Saturday and, you know, over time, I would just start telling his parents about how we wanted to grow and expand the bakery. And it turns out they were venture capitalists. So March 2020, world shuts down, as we all know. <laughs> and they, re well, we were going to have to close the bakery. And, you know, Sarah was very honest. She was like, you know, Carly, I don't know if we're going to make it through this. Like we, you know, we were surviving as a bakery, but we were just a little hole in the wall. Like we weren't some huge profitable operation. And 
So they reach out and they want to invest in the bakery. And so we take some time and regroup. And this is when Sarah brings me on as a partner. And so we were closed for a couple of months, summer of 2020. And then October of 2020, uh, brought on uh, other partner, Olivia, as um, she's our head of marketing and is like our tech whiz. So she helped build our website and we launched our first e-commerce site in October of 2020. From there, we signed a lease at a little hole in the wall space in the West Village. And it was just a short term thing. You know, we didn't want know where the world was going. Everything was still pretty up in the air and we didn't want to lock ourselves into something we couldn't handle. And then as uh, things started growing and we outgrew that tiny little space and March of 2021, we got a, a huge production space in Dumbo, Brooklyn. And that is kind of where everything else has kind of fallen into place since then. We are able to uh, scale our business some. And a few months after we opened our first flagship in Seaport District. And that has been so exciting. You know, opening a store was a huge milestone for us after COVID. And just even the grand opening, like being surrounded by family and friends, it was one of the my favorite moments in my life. It, you know, we we're just so proud of how far we'd come. You know, we were making it out of a pandemic, and so many businesses sadly didn't make it through. So it was, we were proud that we were able to get to that point, and very thankful for our investors because we couldn't have done it without them. And yeah, so we just kept growing the business. And then uh, a year later, um, a year year ago now, um, April 2022, we opened our second flagship store in NoHo. And that one, it we call it our little like dollhouse inspired bakery. It's like very plasticky, all purple. Um, just, you feel like you kind of walked into a Barbie dream world. So it was fun because we got to tie in like all of our childhood nostalgia uh, and, um, you know, just all the cute things that girls love into it. I was a huge Barbie fan. I am just so <laughs> smiley. Uh, so this okay we opened this growing this so so carly's growing as a business person um all fronts just talk to us about your own you know this is like kind of an mba on the ground right so you're learning to run the business so do you dive into a little bit of that part for us yeah absolutely so you know when, obviously when i started i had no knowledge i didn't know what i was doing and um, definitely had a few different mentors in my life. And um, Sarah, she uh, she's a couple of years older than me. And the bakery had been around for three years before I joined the team. So she, you know, already had some on the ground experience for managing people. And she taught me, you know, a lot about um, how to hire people, how to find, you know, great workers and um, you know, just how to be a leader. I really look up to her and I've learned so much from um, from being her partner and working alongside her. 
And then our investor meets with us and is constantly giving us really great business advice. And, um, you know, this is in processes we should implement. And yeah, we're really just have all these people um, speaking to us about how we can better ourselves in the bakery and, you know, could not do it without them. Otherwise, we would have crashed and burned forever ago. (laughs) Yeah, so can't do it alone, but take all the advice you can from everyone is what I've learned. You know, even I've been listening to some of your podcasts. So amazing hearing your advice for how to run businesses and how to talk to people in the business world. And I think just experience taking in knowledge from people around you is really what it's about. Oh, this is this, your openness and um, can do is just so great. And I, uh, you know, like many of your community, I'm so proud because coming through COVID, you know, arguably something that just really rocked the entire world and to have done so, you know, with such grace and joy, I can hear it in your voice. Carly, that is a real uh, that's a real role model. I mean, there's people, you know, three times your age <laughs> not, not there. So that's so awesome. Let's segue uh, since we're on the business part to the say it skillfully part of the show. I mean, you mentioned confrontation. Is there a challenging conversation or situation we can unpack? Yeah, I think just I'm trying to think of a specific example, but you know, I I think in past jobs I've had a problem with setting boundaries because I was always a person that worked too hard, like, you know, I worked too hard, but I, I did, I worked, um, I put everything I could into my work and I threw myself into it. And I think, you know, sometimes, um, in past jobs, like when I was still living in Oklahoma, my managers took advantage of that and they would expect too much of me for um compared to my other employee or my coworkers and with that it was just tricky to you know like I wanted to please them but it was the point of pushing myself too hard and getting burnt out too quickly Oof, this is such a great one because everyone around the world nodding their head if they haven't done this they know someone who has and so I really appreciate your bringing it up and being able to um, own it. Um, you know, this, the, the boundary thing, you know, creativity, I say needs constraints, right? And you're in this art world. And so those constraints really help you to be creative. So I do think one is just about our own attitude. So I always think of this as this little framework of me, you, and we, right? So the me part is Carly, um, you want to please, I got that. Um, you're an artist, so the creating constraints is part of it. So feeling like boundaries are good. Does that make sense? And sometimes the attitude can be, well, I, you know, I should just be available for everything. It's like, well, yeah, but then you're not going to do your best work. Absolutely. Right? So that's just a way to kind of head fake yourself into realizing that boundaries are good. And, you know, I, the, um, the asking for what you need part, in, and I'm just so proud of you for, honoring yourself, talking to your mom every night, whatever. I mean, this is in that, that bucket too. And so when you realize you've gone a long ways and you're getting, you're doing more work, you might set back 
and, and think about the other people and, and you would want them to be like, oh my gosh, Carly, we so appreciate that. And we can see how much more you're doing, right? That's what you would like to see, right? <laughs> but if your experience is feel like people are taking advantage, well, that's, that's something you're like, huh, now we're not on the same page. So there's a disconnect. So in the other person's eyes, so the opportunity is, you know, assuming positive intent, as you are, that they don't want to take advantage of you. Now, they maybe they really do, Carly, but it doesn't really help if you think that, right? <laughs> and I think at the point is just raising, you know, you think about what do you want to have happen? Do you want to work less? Do you want them to acknowledge you? And I think that's a personal choice. You need to figure out what you want to have. And then to be able to go in and say, hey, you know, I'm noticing something. I've been really killing myself here. And, you know, I, I guess I'm doing that on my own. And I'm just wondering, you know, what do you think? And, yeah. and raising the topic, right? So I think of this phrase all the time, transparency is our friend. So just raising the awareness. And if we're on the same page, great. If we're not on the same page, that's great too, because now we have a chance to get on the same page. And this is the expectation setting part. So you may have created this higher expectation than anyone else had which is totally fair for you to do, but we can't blame other people if we did that for ourselves. Does that make sense? So that's a little bit of the, at the I think the biggest piece is just knowing what you want to have happen. And I use this phrase, um, you know, we're all part of the problem and we're all part of the solution. I don't say being part of the problem is we're bad people, but I use that as a way to say, hey, let's own how we may have contributed to this situation, right? Let's just own that. Let's make sure the other person knows that we own that. And how together do we create, you know, be part of a solution? And for leaders, you know, there may be leaders who are unknowingly have different expectations for employees. You know, they're people. It's like parents with kids. So the ability to say, you know, hey, I, I just love us to, to level set on, you know, what great looks like. What's the kind of work product we want everyone? And um, I know we want to hold everyone accountable to the same levels of standards. I literally just had a conversation with someone with their they were wanted to talk to their CEO because there was someone who was just not really pulling their fair share. They were trying to figure out how to raise it. And I said, this is very easy because no leader wants to create, you know, inequity that way knowingly. Right. And so what they're not aware, it's our job to help. Well, I really love that way of looking at it. And I was just taking notes the whole time. I'm totally <laughs> going to use that. Um, and transparency is our friend is a really great way to think about that. I love it. Yeah. I appreciate you going there with me. And I, you know, I I want listeners all know this, like all of us, no matter where we are, no matter how senior or new, you know, there's tough conversations that are out there. So, you know, that's the whole ethos of the show is helping people realize that, you know, put it out there. And sometimes you'll get an answer and you don't, uh, perhaps that's not what you want. You don't like, and you know what, rather than judge it, that's information for people, right? So if a boss is just going to, well, or whatever, that's information like, huh, this boss probably doesn't deserve me to work for them, right? And then we make the decisions uh, based on that. So I really encourage folks to, to stay open as you are. Um, oh, my gosh. I am, I'm really keen because you're at this point. It, um, when did you get to the point where, like, we feel solid, like we're not, we can exhale because we feel like the business is not going to collapse? You know, I, I'm wondering, there must have been a point where you're like, okay, I think we can actually exhale. Yeah. I think honestly, just this past year, we've we've felt a lot more confident with our growth and the direction we're heading. I mean, you know, obviously, there's still always hard days, but 
like it's so much fun i all my friends will tell me they're like oh yeah i see funny face bakery all the time just randomly like on tiktok and instagram like people will just like see it not associated with me just randomly on their social media and i it that's so great but also so surprising for us to hear because in my mind we're still a tiny little bakery but that's kind of my oh we made it moment you know people know about us we're we're growing at you know a, a great pace and just really excited to continue that so share with us the business aspirations you know, what do you see happening you know doesn't that huge detail but and, and you know this you have this e-commerce versus your retail store. So just share with us where you're heading with it. Yeah. So our main focus right now is growing our uh, commercial side, the B2B. And um, that's a lot of fun because we work with all these incredible brands that, and we will create, you know, cookies for their um, influencer mail for press, for um, their employee gifting for events. And, you know, we love just participating and um, companies gifting in any way we can. So really growing that side of the business. And then in the future, we would love to expand our physical footprint more, you know, hopefully outside of New York City at some point. But for now, we're keeping it close to home, growing the commercial side, and then we'll kind of go from there. But really, we just want to grow the bakery as much as possible. And this past year, we were voted Food Insiders number one chocolate chip cookie in New York City. So we love to expand on that as well and be known for our chocolate chip cookies as much as our decorated. Wow, that's a great honor. So the uh, the the baking part, how much innovate? I mean, I get the, the natural creativity because people are sending in the photos. Uh, what about the innovation in the baking? I'm just curious on that part of the business. Yeah, so all of that um, is credit to Sarah and our head chef, Wendy. So uh, the chocolate chip is Sarah's recipe that she created. So a little bit of background on her. She is both a culinary and art school dropout. <laughs> and <laughs> She kind of took both of them together and to create the bakery. So yeah, the face cookie was all her idea. The chocolate chip was her recipe that she created. And then from that, our head chef who, you know, has years of experience creating recipes, she comes through and, you know, we tell her, oh, what flavors we're interested in. Little um, sneak peek, we're launching a lava chip cookie, which is basically like a molten lava cake, but in cookie form. And that was just from Sarah saying, oh, my favorite dessert is a molten lava cake. And then Wendy took it to the kitchen and turned it into a cookie and, you know, all kinds of fun stuff. Like we had a banana toffee chip cookie over the summer. And that's just from a suggesting ideas and like a group message. We're like, oh, this sounds good. I want to try this. And, you know, we take it from there. It's folks, um, the, the, just so I don't forget, we've got funnyfacebakery.com. There's a wonderful graphic about where the, the history of what Sarah's created and, and bringing, you know, Carly on board. And so I really encourage it's, it's so heartwarming, the story of it with a super fun, joyous product. So I, you know, I, I kind of wonder, what do you think the products are for your customers, Carly? They, you know, so our main goal is to just be like a great 
gift and, you know, conversation starter for people. So, you know, we want customers to come in and say, be able to be like, oh, this reminds me of my friend and um, then to, you know, gift it to their friend and start uh, people or for people to really connect with the different cookie designs. And then for the chocolate chip cookies and other flavors like that, you know, we just want them to be their, you know, delicious treat after a hard day of work or, you know, the bakery they're able to swing by and they just know it's always going to be their favorite dessert. Yeah, the generosity, the connection, and this delight, you know, having a delicious treat. I just love it. Um, what, uh, what last piece of encouragement or suggestion do you have for young people, Carly, to fulfill their dreams? I would just say to take that leap, you know, whatever you're scared of, do it. You know, I was terrified of moving to New York, but I took the leap. I did it anyway. And I could have never guessed this is how my journey would turn out or where I'd be, but I couldn't be happier that it did turn out this way. So take the leap. It's worth it. It's going to be scary. It's going to be really hard, but you know, Otherwise, you're just going to be full of regret for not doing it. (laughs) You are just the best. One last thing. What was it like for you to share your journey with us today? Yeah, it was really great. I hadn't taken the time to reflect on my journey in a while. And I think it was good for me to take a step back and also acknowledge how far I've come and that I am proud of my accomplishments and that I've grown to be so much better version of myself than I could have hoped. And so thank you for giving me the space to do that and being able to share a little part of my story. You are, you know, you just can't imagine how big the smile is on my face. You are such a star. You're shining so brightly. I am, I'm grateful for all you shared and your own courage, Carly, your curiosity, your passion, you know, you're clearly bringing joy um, to others and it's a huge inspiration. Um, I'm excited about what's ahead. So not that you need it, but if I can ever be of any teeny weeny bit of help, uh, you know how to reach me. Okay. And, uh, you know, I say this, you really are part of the solution. You're helping all of us to be seen, to be heard and understood and our true and very best selves. So I'm cheering for you. Big, big hug. Thank you so much. You take good care. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) We have to um, honor that the, thought for the week is you don't need to hide your struggles and take the leap. Thank you, Carly. And that's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Amplify Carly's voice. Reflect on your top takeaways and know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality. Essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is solvable. Communities are proving it. And it begins by understanding that we can't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. The U.S. spends billions each year responding, but it's clear more resources alone aren't enough to solve this complex problem. Community Solutions is a nonprofit working alongside 105 U.S. communities, proving it is possible to make homelessness rare and brief 
starting with veteran and chronic homelessness. These cities and counties are fundamentally changing their approach and have committed to get to zero homelessness using real-time, person-specific data to work and use their resources wisely. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org. See if your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name and need? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness can't be solved. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out sayitskillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 